chapter 8, the last few Sundays, and then into 9, chapter 9, and I wanted to, I kind of planned this, and the Lord is good and gracious to us, that on Christmas morning we would look at verses uh, 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. So if you would, grab your Bible and turn to Isaiah 9. And as if you just remember, hopefully, I know you've, we've slept since uh, right last Sunday. Um, if you'll recall, right, there is this uh, struggle that is happening um, with Judah and uh, Israel, and they're warning even against uh, themselves. And uh, as we saw in chapter 8, they are, they are not seeking the counsel of God. They are consumed with this idea that they can somehow find light and understanding by seeking those who have already passed away, right? Necromancy is that word. They're seeking light from mediums and those who participate in this. And Isaiah has been commissioned by God, take a message. And God even tells them, right, they're not going to receive you, they're not going to like it. How's that, right? There's how you start your ministry. They're not going to like it. They have ears they can't hear, they have eyes they cannot see, but you're going to go and speak this message. And one of the things, I mention that simply because one of the things we see in Isaiah, that even though he knows this and how he writes these verses, he writes with confidence, full of the Holy Spirit, isn't he? And it should encourage us. I mean, Isaiah is looking forward. He is speaking of deliverance, and he will use these wonderful words, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, and he's looking forward. He has to wait, right? And of course, he doesn't make it. He, he dies. But 700 years ahead of him to this deliverance. And we look back and go, yeah, right? He pulled it all up. God did it all. And yet he's looking at this, and he's tasked with a message, and he's, he's sharing it with those who don't want to hear it. It kind of reminds of our own culture, doesn't it? I pray that we'll be encouraged. There was a professor of psychology sometime back at a major university, wanted to do a word study. It was Christmas going into the fall, and so it was close to Christmas. And so on an exam, he asked his students uh, to write the word Christmas. And then he was going to see what all they associated with it. And so the next question was, uh, now that you've written this, uh, what thoughts come to your mind? What, are you, what else are you going to write out there? You know, what flashes in your mind regarding that word, Christmas? And through all his classes, he collected the exams, and as he was going over them, he saw uh, answers such as tree and holly, mistletoe, right? Presents, turkey, holiday carols, Santa Claus. But he was a little bit surprised, even being in a secular university, that not one student said the birth of Jesus. And you, and you, you look at this and you simply go, well, well, this is what the whole thing is about, right? I mean, Christ is in Christmas. And we say it, and it's probably why they want to get rid of Merry Christmas, right? But how... how how often, even in our own right, our own uh, life and culture, that if we were to ask the same question, what, what comes to mind? And no doubt there's trees and all these things and lights. But you would hope at some point they would say it is Christ. And we would realize that if Christ doesn't come, right, there's no salvation. So here's Isaiah. 
is declaring, right, deliverance. He's talked about the source of deliverance. It's God. He's talked about the, the promise, right? It's on his shoulders. We'll, we'll read that. It's on him. And he is full of confidence. And he's, yet he's yelling this and speaking this to a nation that is not hearing it. So these are the words. I'm going to start at verse 4, just so we get the three fours there. Four, you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Four, here's our passage. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, we do thank you once again that we can Look to your word and understand what Christmas is about, to be encouraged and edified. And so, Lord, I ask now that your spirit be with us, instruct us and teach us, that we would, Lord, understand rightly what your word says and apply it to our lives, that we not simply grow in an understanding, but we grow in our holiness and our obedience. And I pray this, Lord, you get me out of the way, that we would receive this today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here is, here is the passage, right? Often in, at Christmas time, you may have heard these verses. Uh, we sing of them, we speak of them. Um, and yet Isaiah is writing them down, and he's writing them as if they have already happened. That is his drive and his passage. And we've seen through this his confidence, right? At the, the source of deliverance, he has said it is Yahweh, right? It's the grounds of our deliverance. It's our confidence, He's told us that even when God is hiding his face from a nation, that he is waiting and he is looking, right? So we learn that if if God is hiding his face from a nation, our response is to be looking, to be testifying, to be waiting and trusting. And then there is action. Isaiah is not silent. He is not quiet. He is standing, even though he is opposed and rejected. So I think there is a call, right? If God is who God says he is, we should live like he actually, I don't know, is, right? Live what we believe. So that was the source of our deliverance. So we saw the promise. I mean, God promises that there will be a glorious future. This is chapter 9, verse 1. He gives us understanding, right? Truth of his word. We have it with us. We cannot know who God is without his word. We can know there is a God, but we can't come to believe when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is correct. I know that sounds funny. Jesus is right, right? Yes, he is. There's no other way. So we see the promise, right, of God's kingdom. We see in verse 3 the inclusion 
of Gentiles. This is amazing. Here in, in what is often considered the fifth gospel, right? Isaiah, he's speaking about you and me. God's kingdom will grow. Isn't it wonderful that on the Lord's Day we can gather and worship him in English? Some of us are excited about that, right? Yes, we're included. And for us to be included, what does God have to do? He promises there will be one who will break the chains of bondage. Amen. He will bring peace to the nations. This, right, this is what we're celebrating. That Savior has come. And now he unfolds, right, as you you see the source, the promise. And then Isaiah says, here he is. This is how you'll know who he is. And so I have left my points just as the person, right? We could put Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, whatever you want there. We're talking about Jesus. But my first point is simply this. The person will be the God-man. He has to be. He comes to the third four, that, that conjunction. Isaiah says, here's your reason for rejoicing. Despite what is going on in the culture, here is your reason. Christ right, for him is coming. For us, we know he has come. All of this points, right, to Jesus, to his humanity, and to his divinity. And some have said, some scholars have said, well, maybe he's talking about some other person, not Jesus. Well, clearly the context, it can only be Jesus, right, who's going to bring about this kind of deliverance. But even that aside, right, Isaiah has told us, chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Clearly Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Emmanuel, God himself, will come. The Messiah will come. The child will be born, right? Speaks to Jesus' humanity. He has to come as a child, he has to come as a man, right? He's, he's touching on the deity of Christ. The son will be given to you. And the point simply is, right, our first parents, really the first patriarch, Adam, blew it. There has to be a fix. There has to be a better covenant. Some of you may say, well, it was, it was, the, it was the woman. I can stir the pot here really well. Can I? It was the woman. She was deceived, but it was with Adam. Listen to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat, you will surely die. There's the physical, spiritual. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the covenant is made with Adam. Right? Why does Jesus have to come as a man? Why does he have to come as a human? A human broke the covenant. The patriarch broke the covenant. It must be fixed. This is the wonderment of how God loves you. We cannot fix the covenant. Death will continually be our problem of those being born, unless it is fixed by one who is sinless. This is Christmas. This is what's happening. God is so loving this world, he is placing a sinless human, right, child, son to come, to grow to be a man, to go to the cross, to redeem us. I don't know about you, but God is off the hook crazy. I thought it's just amazing to me. 
Maybe some of us don't know the wretches that we truly are, right? And yet he loves us this way. This is why Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ has to come. Only a human can be born under the law. Animals, though they suffer, right, the curse of creation and on uh, of, of what God does because of sin, no animals are born under the law. Angels are not born under the law. Only humans are born under the law. The problem is we're born, right, a human can redeem another human, but we're born into sin. We're conceived with fruit in our mouth, right? When Adam ate the fruit, we are guilty of the same sin. But Christ is radically different. Radically different. He is the perfect man. And it is only Christ who could come this way to redeem us. This is why, again, Paul would say he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. God doesn't become, Christ doesn't become a sinner. He is sinless. He bears our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if he does not come, if Christ does not come, if a, if a, a new covenant is not formed, a better covenant, and we say it every time when, when we read the passage, when we take communion, this is the covenant, the new covenant in his blood. It is a better Adam has come. A better Savior, right? The only Savior. Let's say it like that. For God, why? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten excuse me, son. See, it has to be the God-man. But I want you to notice, too, in this passage, how Isaiah is writing this. He's writing what is called a prophetic perfect. He is writing in past tense to emphasize the fact that Jesus will come, that he will be born, the fact that he will come again and reign and judge. He is emphasizing this so much he is writing in the past tense. We translate it in English, right, because we know that he was looking forward. We know the timeline, so we write it, right, in English, will. But Isaiah actually is writing it as has been born. A child has been born. He's emphasizing the fact that he's going to come. He has been given. He has been called. 700 years, right, before Christ comes, he has this confidence. I could simply ask a question of you this morning. Do you have this confidence? See, there's no fixing our sin problem. It's all on God, and that's what he's saying. God will send one. God will fix it. There will be one who will come who will do it. And he even tells us, right, that a government will be on his shoulders. I don't know about you, but Merry Christmas. Right here it is. Isaiah, with confidence, and I know, brothers and sisters, I get it. We live in a world that is, that is decaying, and often we see the struggle, the pain, the sorrow. Often we feel the shame, and we think it's, it's, he can't deal with this. Remember, Isaiah, what he is proclaiming here. He can handle this. You'll notice at the, the end of verse 7, and I'll point this out when we get down there as well, but it's the zeal the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It is God's zeal to fulfill his 
purposes. Martin Luther, writing about the birth of Christ, he said this, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. Yet this is what he has done. This is this historical event. This is Christ coming. Why? So you and I can be redeemed. God promised that Gentiles, he'll expand his kingdom. Are you a believer today? He has expanded his kingdom. He is doing it right in front of us. See, Isaiah's writing in the past tense, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, what did the angel say? For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior. Isaiah's going, I told you, right? I told you. Let this encourage you, edify you. The God-man has come. There's no other way. He is it, right? Isaiah doesn't write and say, well, there's this, there's this counselor, a mighty God, he's coming, but there's also this other route you can get there, right? There's none of that is here. This is it. This is the deliverance, and it is mighty, and all those who know of it come and worship. All that we see when Christ is born, what are they doing? They're worshiping. We should be doing the same, right? Psalms 98, shout joyfully, salvation has come. So our first point here, the person will be the God-man. The second, my second point is the person will have complete dominion, right? He says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Uh, this is his burden, it's not yours. This is why throughout Scripture, what, do they, what does Scripture tell us to do? Cast your burdens down, take upon him his yoke. It is easy, right? His burden is light, Why? Because he's got the shoulders to bear it. He'll have complete dominion. His kingdom will be of grace, of mercy. He will rule with gentleness. Jesus said all authority, right, in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Often we see, right, Isaiah coming to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and telling there's this deliverance, and they're, they're, not, they're thinking physical, right? But the deliverance that Jesus brings is first spiritual. What we need is to be delivered from our sins. There's no hope outside of Christ. This government will be first a spiritual one before he returns at the end and sets up complete his complete kingdom. This is why Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What is he doing? Well, Isaiah told us, right? There's going to be a chain breaker. That's who he is. He's going to have to do this. And this government, this responsibility is on him. So God, because he is a God who has zeal to accomplish this, will make sure that Christ comes. He will be born sinless. We see that, right, in the the Gospels. He will live the sinless life. He will be the substitution on the cross. It's only Christ. He'll have complete dominion. We may, at this point in our lives, we experience the already of Jesus being born, the already of the cross. 
And I realize, brothers and sisters, we too look forward, like Isaiah, in that sense, to the completion. But yet, how much confidence does he have and sees none of it? And we live in the reality that his kingdom is growing. Anytime there is a believer, right, or excuse me, a sinner who comes to believe, God's kingdom is showing its dominance. There is no chains that can stop him. That's just who God is. That's the power of the atonement. So we see, right, the perfect God-man had to come. It's only him. There is no other way. His, his, uh, his ruling will have complete dominion. My third point, the person will exhibit supremacy. Listen to these names, right? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, it's true, right? These, these four names don't, don't inhibit all of what Christ is. It is it, as if Isaiah is looking upon this scene, and then he walks over to the side, and then he goes, here's another picture, then he walks to the back. Here's, he just like he walks around Jesus, so to speak, and he gives us four names, but it's not exhaustive by no means. But this is what the Holy Spirit has unfolded, unfolded for us in Scripture. So what do we need to know? What should we grab hold of? Well, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And we know this, right? I mean, again, Isaiah is looking to the future. We, we have the New Testament. We can see, right, the life of Jesus, his words that he spoke, how he, how he revealed the Father and how he loved the broken. We have so much more to put to this, and we know, yeah, he is a wonderful counselor. See, Christ lived as a man, right? He had to be born. He had to be a human. At his birth, he, was, he maintained his complete 100% God, brings on 100% humanity. And in this life, he was born into a poor family. He understood, right, the miseries of life, the difficulties of life. He suffered. If you go to Calvary, in him, excuse me, incomprehensible, I had to look at the word, right? Incomprehensible, this is where my wife says, slow down, right? Persecution. I mean, think about it. A Savior born sinless is executed as a criminal. He's treated, as Isaiah says, as he's numbered with the transgressors. Why does God do this? Salvation. You and I. So what does he know? If he's endured these things in life, he knows what pain feels like. He knows what hunger and thirst feels like. He's experienced poverty and homelessness. He knows the feeling of being rejected. Even by his own family. He understands what it means to be forsaken. Thus, he knows your pain. See, these are things, these words, unfortunately, some of us know really well, don't we? We've walked through these things. Sometimes we've felt that moment where we try to explain it to someone else and they just don't understand. For they have not experienced that. But Christ is the one person feels what we feel, who brings comfort to our confusion, 
who gives guidance, right, through the storms and the struggles of life. Isaiah says he is the wonderful counselor. Christ can guide us. Christ can encourage us. Christ can strengthen us to whatever trial we are walking through. He is the one who can show us the way forward. And he stands today, right, for us as our wonderful counselor. We might say that's enough, right? Man, that's enough. We can call upon him. He knows my name. He knows my sorrow, my shame even better than I know myself. That would be enough. But that's not enough for Isaiah. It's not enough for the Holy Spirit because he goes on. Jesus is also mighty God. Of course he's mighty God. He's the second person of the Trinity. I mean, when, what is the first verse in which we see God? We see Jesus. It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. There he is. He always is, always will be. That's who he is. It's, it's a, a sad day in the church that many evangelicals, professing evangelicals, think that Jesus didn't exist until he was born. No, he always was. He is the mighty God. He can do what no one else can do. He can go to the cross and shed his blood and redeem us. He can fulfill the passages that Isaiah is saying. He's speaking to Ahaz and says, here it is. Here's the deliverance. He can do it. As God, he is omnipotent, all-powerful. He has all the power necessary to save any who cry out to him. He has the power to rescue us from our trials and temptations from bondage, oppression, whatever we're going through, whether it's from the outside or from the inside. We shouldn't question his power. He is omniscient. He's an all-knowing God. He has knowledge of what is necessary to rescue you. He has knowledge of your pain, of your guilt, your shame, your hurts, your thoughts, There's nothing you can hide from him. Stop trying to do that. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. But it's not just a percentage of God everywhere. It's 100% of God everywhere. He's ever present in his omnipresence. He is the real present hope for the hopeless, isn't he? He's a present healing for the broken, a present peace for those in conflict. Matthew Henry said this about the mighty God. He said, he is the mighty God. God, the mighty one. As he has wisdom, so he has strength to go through with his undertaking. He is able to save to the utmost. And such is the work of the mediator that no less a power than that of the mighty God could accomplish it. He knows what you need. He's able to fulfill it. He is God. This is still not enough for Isaiah. He goes on and says, Jesus is the eternal Father. If he's God, we know. There's no beginning, no ending. Of course, he is eternal. But Isaiah's focus is not on the eternal per se. It is on the fact that Christ loves his children as a loving father. That might be a struggle for some of us. We maybe haven't had good fathers. We should never attach, right, those that we see of our own fathers to this loving, benevolent King of kings, Lord of lords, who loves us. 
Christ will nurture and nourish us. He will comfort us, assure us, instruct us, lead and guide us. He will correct and discipline us. To the point Isaiah is hitting as the quality of the fatherhood. It is eternal. He doesn't simply love you, right, one day, and the next day he's not so sure. He loves you eternally, now and forever. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, he is expressing for us a little taste of what it means that him as our heavenly father will always do. Of course, salvation he has done. Well, Isaiah ends this series of titles and names, and he says Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the one that will bring peace to our hearts, peace to the nations. Isaiah has talked about this. But the word prince means that he will rule, he will govern in peace. This is the one area, right, we would say, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. And Isaiah, no doubt, is touching on the the utter fulfillment when there will be a day where there is no more war or brutality or disunity or prejudice or hatred or bitterness. There will be peace. But even beyond that, even now, we enjoy in our own hearts, despite conflict and struggles of life, there is a real peace that we have. There is a peace that transcends our understanding. It is Christ himself who is with us. See, the greatest need of every soul, the greatest need of every soul is to be reconciled to their creator. God's greatest gift is a redeemer who reconciles us to our creator. When people are reconciled to God, we have peace with God. Peace fills our our hearts, our minds. From that peace comes assurance that despite what we walk through, God is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know my sins are forgiven. I have been declared uh, righteous because of Christ. I have his perfect righteousness. I have been declared uh, that the gavel has gone down and I have been justified. And I know at the end of my life, I will be with the Father. Christ does this. Again, Isaiah looking forward. Here is the God-man. He'll have dominion. He'll exhibit supremacy. And we go on the first part of verse 7. This is point 4, where the person, right, the person, Christ, will establish God's kingdom again and again. We see this, don't we? There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom. Again, Isaiah is hitting the future fulfillment, right? He's looking to the birth of Christ and beyond this when he returns. So for us today, we should be even more confident than Isaiah because we know Christ has come and he has been born and he has walked on this planet. He's gone to the cross and he has risen out of the tomb and he has ascended to heaven. If that has happened, which has happened, then you know he's coming again. He's going to return. He will rule in peace. He will sit on David's throne. He will rule forever. He will establish justice and righteousness on the earth. Think for a moment, right, as you think about Christmas and that one 
uh, professor asking the other words attached to Christmas. Think about words such as there's no more lawlessness in God's kingdom. There's no more violence, no more prejudice, no more injustice. All because the birth of Jesus and how our world misses it. He will rule forever. And my last point this morning is simply, he will succeed. He will not fail. Second part of verse 7 says, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah, right? 700 years. He's looking. He is speaking to Ahaz, to Judah, to Israel. They're not listening, but he is not wavering. He knows there's a day the enemy will be crushed. Christ will succeed. And it's guaranteed. God will guarantee it. It's all on him. His zeal to see it happen. God will succeed. See, this is encouragement to Isaiah. He's being rejected. He's being considered conspiracy, right? As God remember in chapter 8. I mean, Ahaz thinks he's working with the enemy. What do you mean we should not seek the dead and we should call upon God? Are you working for the enemy? How backwards it is. It's like our day, how backwards it is. But he, he's not stopping. He's looking 700, 700 years ahead of him. He it's, that's what's ahead of him. We live in the already but not yet. This hope should encourage us. Brothers and sisters, Christmas, explain it. Don't stop speaking. It's the truth of the gospel. It is what is needed today. There is no political solution to the problems we have here in America. People will often look, right, to the government or look to self or look to the world. The gospel offers the only opportunity. So we need to turn from trusting in political agendas, turn from trusting in mediums or divination, turn from trusting in the spirits of the dead that we see happening in Scripture, we see rising in our culture, countless programming and shows about witchcraft and new age is all around us. New age ideas are making it into the church. The only hope is Christ. And Isaiah tells us, he will be, and we know this to be true, the God-man. He will bring and have complete dominion. He will exhibit supremacy. That's who he is. He will establish God's kingdom he will succeed. So this morning, as this is Christmas Day, right? The Lord's Day. If I was to ask you to write the word Christmas and then follow that up by saying, what else would you attach to that? What would you say? 
Christ alone is our only hope. He must be preached. He must be proclaimed. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to close by singing the, the carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I simply want to point out briefly the story. Uh, Henry Longfellow, who was writing this, had lost his wife and his daughters in a fire. His son returned. It was written during the time of the Civil War, had been wounded. And he was uh, facing despair. Right? The, the very things. And, and he writes in the verse, the third verse, it says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's easy for us, even through Christmas, to, to kind of hear that and go, that's, that's me. Christmas, right, is not the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. It is the, the depression, the brokenness. See, Longfellow was reminded when the bells rang, when the church bells rang on the Lord's day, he followed that stanza with the, the next stanza that says, then pleaded the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. So I encourage you, as Isaiah is looking forward, and writing in the past tense, he's assured of it. This day be assured of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no hope outside of him, and all of it rests on him, and he will succeed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given to us to assemble again in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Christmas. We know, Lord, your word says we're not to remember. You don't call us to remember Christmas, but it's in the Gospels. And it's important because he had to come. He had to be a son. He had to be born a son. He had to be born sinless to fulfill the broken covenant and establish a new, better covenant in his blood. And we know, Lord, that you will love the son eternally and you will eternally love those who are in Christ Christ has accomplished this. His, his kingdom is first and now a spiritual kingdom. And he is available as a savior. So Lord, while we are breathing, let us not stop proclaiming Christ. What Christmas means, the gospel is that there's real hope. There's real healing. Because we know when the Lord returns and he will return, when he comes, he will not come as a savior. He will come as a judge, and he will separate the sheep from the goats. So, Lord, I pray that we would be active. We would be confident like Isaiah, even though we are rejected. Let us speak of Christ, and never end of speaking of Christ. May we lift him high. And, Father, I pray for us, if we're here this morning, and maybe uh, as we think about Henry Longfellow and the, the struggle that he went through Maybe we're feeling that depression. I pray, Lord, that the truth of the gospel would turn our eyes once again to fix upon Christ as we run this race with all the good works you set in front of us, that we would meet them with Holy Spirit power and conviction. And let this Christmas be like no other, that we know we have Christ. Not in part, we have him in whole. Lord, thank you for loving us this way. We pray this again in the awesome, wonderful name our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would, we're going to close by just uh, taking a note from Ken and grabbing our hymnals. And if you would turn, I, I think the words will be on the, on the screen as well, of course, uh, to hymn 152. Hymn 152, if you want to grab your hymnals. And we'll follow Laura's lead and let's stand together. No, you're on the right track. <laughs> 